Jesus is more. That's the title for our reflections together this morning. Jesus is more. So much more than we realize. I don't know if you've ever had something that turned out to be much more valuable than you at first thought. Let me tell you a story about a time that I did this. Um, A couple of months ago, we planned a, a birthday trip for my wife. We decided we're, we're both really into tennis. In fact, um, if my wife ever leaves, leaves me, it will be for Roger Federer. Um, and uh, we're both really into tennis, and we like to watch a lot of tennis. And so uh, several months ago, we, we planned a trip to go see the U.S. Open. that has been on these last couple of weeks. And we bought tickets, and we made travel arrangements, and we booked a hotel, and we did all the logistical things you got to do when you want to leave four children back here and go off by yourself. So we, you know, we did all these things and, and, and everything was lined up and it was great. Fast forward to this past Monday, where I diff- paint a different scene for you. In my kitchen at home, we have a bench and on the bench since this sort of silver file and as mail comes in, I put this in the file and sort of, it's kind of the place where James's sort of stuff compiles. And uh, this last Monday, I looked at it, it was sort of overflowing, you know, envelopes sticking out left, right and center. And so it was time for me to, to work through this. And so took everything out, piled it on the kitchen table, uh, paid bills, threw out junk mail, put a ton of stuff in the trash, threw out a couple of old FedEx envelopes and just really sort of cleared the space and, and then kind of had that nice feeling of, ah, this space is now clean. The sort of type A person in me was uh, blessed by that. Um, then, fast forward to the morning of the trip. I'm upstairs, actually working on the sermon. And I hear, honey, have you seen our tickets? This is my response. <laughs> they were in a FedEx envelope in the file. Oh, no. I walk downstairs. Fear of the Lord and fear of the wife are similar things. (laughs) I'll tell you how that story ends at the end of the sermon. (laughs) Some things are much more valuable than we realize. Like, for example, a FedEx envelope with US Open tickets that you threw in the trash. This fall, we're going to study the book of Hebrews and we're going to reflect upon how this is so true about Jesus. He is so much more so much more valuable than we realize, so much more precious than we have really got to grips with in our hearts and in our minds. A couple of things about the book of Hebrews as we get going. First of all, there's much about this book that we don't know. We don't know, for example, who wrote this book. There are theories as to who it might have been, but we don't really know. We can be pretty sure that it wasn't Paul who wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. The emphases and the style of this book do not really align with Paul. The teachings are, of course, consistent, but it does not seem that it is a letter that came from his hand. Other people suggested perhaps that it was Barnabas who wrote this letter. Tertullian suggested this in the second century. And much later, some suggested that maybe Apollos wrote this letter. Luther suggested that in the 16th century, reflecting upon a lot of the Old Testament references that are in this book. The bottom line is that we don't really know who authored this book. Secondly, we don't really know who the first recipients were either. Some people think it was written to believers in Jerusalem. That is the religious capital of the world at that time. Other people argue, no, it was written to a group of believers in Alexandria, which was the intellectual capital of the day. Others have argued, no, it was written to Rome, the political capital of the day. Again, uh, we don't really know. There are theories uh, abound, but we uh, cannot be uh, sure or certain. 
Two things, though, that we can be certain of. First of all, we can have a a good handle from the letter itself on uh, the context of the book or uh, the situation that those it was written to uh, found themselves. We know that they face many challenges of both heart and mind. Uh, challenges of heart uh, they, through the, the themes that are repeated throughout this book is this call to persevere. In light of hardship, in light of temptation, in light of uh, just the difficulty of, of following Christ on a day in and day out basis, the believers are called uh, to persevere, to hang in, to endure, to realize that following Jesus is worth it. And that those who persevere to the end will inherit this crown of righteousness that will make all else pale in comparison. Challenges of mind as well. The book addresses this theme of religious pluralism as the believers of this day were being tempted or called to fall away from Christ alone, believing again in Judaism or in other beliefs that abounded in that day. And so, of people who have faced challenges of heart and mind, of people like ourselves, of people who find it hard to persevere in the Christian life, of people who have many temptations to be pulled in many different directions. And into this context, we get a very clear theme. The theme of the book is, is clear. It is all about the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. That's what this is about. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, and it's only about Jesus. It talks about how supreme and sufficient he is for every aspect of our lives lived out here today. The author is at pains to point out Christ and set him forth in the most graphic of manner to teach us that Jesus is so much more, so much more valuable than we realize. We're going to start this series by looking at verses 1 through 3 of this text, and we're going to have a seven-point sermon. You were not expecting that, were you? Yeah. (laughs) Seven points. Um, Seven points that basically come straight from the text. So let's... um, Let's look at this. Uh, let's, let's look at this together. But first, let's look at verses 1 and 2 uh, to see what our, what our context is. We learn three things from verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Three things. First of all, we see that God speaks. Long ago, God spoke. He has spoken by his Son. A remarkable fact that we ought not gloss over. There is a God, and he is not silent. There is a God in heavens who reveals himself to us, a God who is a communicative God, a God who wants to tell you something, who wants to be in relationship uh, with you. If, the, if this God had, had remained silent, if he had remained distant, then we would be just uh, lost in darkness and shrouded in a, a cloud. We cannot get to him, and yet he comes to us to reveal himself to us. He comes to us to speak. He bends on one knee, as it were, to look his children in the eye and speak to them using words and using language that we are able to understand. A staggering claim in the opening verses that we must not gloss over. There is a God, and he is speaking to us, and so we ought to take his words seriously. So God speaks. Secondly, in the past, he spoke with variety. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
long ago as a reference to the Old Testament era, and we read that God revealed himself in many, at many times and in many ways by the prophets. Many times and many ways. God appeared in a number of different forms. He appeared in dreams, he appeared in visions, he appeared through angels, he appeared through bushes that went on fire, he appeared in a a cloud that uh, directed the people, he appeared uh, through the drawing of lots, he appeared even speaking through a donkey. The Lord came and spoke in many different forms. And as he did so, he came to speak in many different accents. He spoke in thunder to Moses and in a whisper to Elijah. He spoke words of uh, rebuke to David and words of comfort to Zechariah. He spoke as a father to Abraham and as a mother to Isaiah. He came to his people at many times and in many different ways. And we read by the prophets, those people who were sent by God to make known his will for our salvation. That's what a prophet does. He comes and he makes known the will of God for our salvation. And so the prophets came, and what did they say? They said, thus says the Lord. And then they spoke about the promised Savior that would come, promising life to those who would have faith in him. God speaks, and he speaks in a number of different ways. He is communicative, and he is lavishly communicative. He is at pains to speak to us in ways that we understand. So he speaks, he speaks with variety, but also he speaks with finality. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This phrase, last days, refers, yes, to the New Testament, but it means more than just recently he's spoken to us by his son. This phrase, last days, is a literal translation for the Hebrew phrase that means that time or that era when all the promises of God will be fulfilled. That time or era when all the promises of God will be fulfilled. So its use here means that this time of fulfillment has arrived. The revelation of God has progressed from promise to fulfillment. How so? He has spoken to us by his Son. The variety of ways that God spoke to us before, long ago, could not combine to express the fullness of God's revelation to us. He had more to say. There needed to be another word, a word with a capital W, a word with a definite article. There needed to be the word. And so Jesus comes as the word. He comes and we find that all the promises of God meet with and find their resounding yes and amen in this time of fulfillment with Christ. Jesus has come. God had more to say He said it all in Christ. One theologian says, the story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ, but there is no progression beyond him. God has spoken. He spoke with variety, but now he has spoken with finality in his son. That is the context that we get in this very opening verse of Hebrews. We then get seven reasons why Jesus is more, so much more than we had realized. So let's look at these reasons together. Uh, We're just going to follow the text. You can uh, look at it with me. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is more, number one, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. The heir inherits all that the Father gives to him. And the Father, we read, has given Jesus all things. All things belong to him. 
Everything falls under his authority. All things means that he is the heir of everything on earth, whether it's nations or business or science or arts or weather patterns. All things have been placed under his feet. All things means he is uh, the heir of everything in the universe. I was reading uh, this week about a star that was discovered in 2010. Here's the snappy name, R136A1. Get this, 300 times bigger than the sun. 10 million times brighter than the sun? Jesus owns that. The dust particles that are floating around in this room, he owns those as well. Everything on earth, everything in the universe, and everything in the heavens, all spiritual forces of good and evil. I love in verse 13 of this chapter where we read that Jesus' enemies are made as a footstool for his feet. So even those who are opposed to him, even, though, even, even Satan is just a footstool for Jesus. Jesus puts his feet up on on Satan because he's the heir of all things and he has authority over all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. Jesus is more. Point two, you're relieved that they're short points, right? (laughs) Jesus is more because Jesus created the world through whom also he created the world. This idea that God's creative activity was expressed or manifested through the power of Christ, that Jesus was active in the creation. This echoes this famous verse in Colossians, for in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The creation of the world came about through the power of Jesus. And so he looks at that star. I need to look at my notes again. What is it? R136A1. He looks at that star and he says, I did that. And he looks at every particle of dust floating around in this room and he says, I did that too. And he looks at everything else in between, at poetry and music, at dance, at technology, physics and math, at beauty, at sex, at romance, and he says, I did all of those things. They were all my idea. I created them. Jesus is more because he is the creator of all things. Jesus created the world. Jesus is more. Number three, Jesus is more because he is the radiance of the glory of God. Verse three, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. A beautiful picture that we're given here to express that the glory of God is seen in Christ. So the glory of God, all his grace and all his truth, everything that makes up who God himself is, is shown to us, made known to us, revealed to us in Christ, in who he is. So it's as the radiance of the sun reaches the earth, so in the exact same way, in Christ, the glory that is God shines into the hearts of men and women. That as the rays travel from the sun to the earth, so we can see the glory of God as it has traveled from the heavens to the earth in Christ Jesus. To see him is to see the glory of God. Jesus is more because Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Point four. Jesus is more because Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. The exact imprint of his nature. Still in verse three together. So to see Jesus 
is to see God. That when God sends Jesus, he doesn't just send a representative. He doesn't just send an ambassador. He doesn't just send someone who will tell us what God is like. In sending Jesus, he has sent himself because Jesus is part of the Trinity. He is the exact imprint of his nature. They are one and the same. That yes, they are three, but yes, they are one. And so as Jesus comes to this earth, it is God coming to this earth. I love this. Jesus never, what does Jesus never say? Jesus never says, thus says the Lord. What does Jesus say? He says, truly, truly, I say unto you. Why can he say that? Because he is the Lord. He is God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. To see Jesus is to see God. To see one is to see the other. There is no separation. He is not a mere representative. Jesus is more. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. Okay, number five. You should be able to guess the next one by now if you're looking down at the text with me. Jesus is more because how? Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Christ didn't just create and then let the world run. Christ is intimately involved with his creation. He is dynamically holding all things together, dynamically sustaining all things so that everything is held together in this sort of creative tension. Were he to distance himself from creation, were he to stand back from it, the cosmos itself would implode. He is here. He is active. He is dynamic. He is holding all things together. And how does he do this? I love this too. He he doesn't do this like Atlas struggling to hold the world on his shoulders. He does this by the word of his power. So the creative word, let there be light that brought the world into being finds its counterpart in this upholding word that holds, sustains all things and holds all things together. It's like saying, Jesus does this with his pinky. That's how easy this is. That's how easy this is. That's how powerful he is. Jesus is more. How? Because he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Reason six. Let's look together at the end of verse three. Jesus is more because Jesus made purification for sins after making purification for sins. And this is a beautiful verse because here Jesus moves from this cosmic power to draw close and be this intimate companion for us. The Old Testament background, of course, is with the priest who would offer innumerable sacrifices, moment after moment, day after day, sacrifice upon sacrifice upon sacrifice for the sins of the people, for purification, that is, for for cleansing of sin. And now we have this New Testament fulfillment where Jesus comes and he makes just one sacrifice. He doesn't make many, he makes one, because it's the perfect sacrifice of himself upon the cross. And so Jesus comes to make purification for us, to take our guilt and our sin and our shame upon himself so that we can be made clean, that we can be white as snow. One writer says, Christ's cosmic work should create in us a sense of awe, but the grace which sacrificed for our sin calls forth a sense of personal indebtedness the cosmic scale can never evoke. We cannot view God in Christ merely as 
in the distance and powerful. He has drawn near to make his love known in a personal way by offering you cleansing from sin. Jesus is more. Why? Because Jesus offers purification for sins. Seventh and last, Jesus is more because Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The end of verse 3. After making purifications for sin, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Another great verse. The Old Testament priests, when they were on duty, never sat down. They never sat down because symbolic of the fact that their work was never done. Uh, They offered one sacrifice, and there was more sin, and they needed to offer another sacrifice. They they offered that sacrifice, and they just kept on coming. The sin and the sacrifice compiled and multiplied, and there was never an end to their work. They were never finished. And Christ comes, and he sits. Why does he sit? Because it's finished. As he says on the cross, it it is finished. There's no more sacrifice. There's no more sacrifice. Because God is pleased and has accepted and is delighted with the sacrifice of Christ. No more needs to be done. There is nothing else that is out of place. Jesus is not scurrying around in heaven putting the finishing touches on our salvation. He's done. And so he's sitting. That feeling of ease, that feeling of rest, that feeling of peace that comes when you sit down at the end of the day and know that all has been accomplished. That is what Christ is doing at this very moment. Jesus is more because he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Two quick points in closing. First of all, see what you need. See what you need, and his name is Jesus. See who you need, and his name is Jesus. If you don't know Christ, if this is all new to you, I want you to reflect on these verses and I want you to see who the Bible is is putting before you this morning. Because the Bible is presenting you with a picture that is both so awesome and yet so tender that it melts our hearts. Presented as this God of, of power, this God of absolute rule and reign, and yet presented as this God who has drawn near to you to look you in the eye and speak words you can understand and offer cleansing for your sin. That shame, that guilt, those burdens, that regret that you carry with you can be wiped from your account. And if you will come to Christ, if you will see what you need, if you see Jesus, he will make you white as snow. It's your offer this morning from Christ and his word. If you believe these things, if you've seen what you need, then see what you have. It's great. I love this sermon because the application is Jesus, no matter what the question is, right? See what you have. See what you have in him. See him as your prophet, the one who has revealed the will of God for your salvation. And so, yes, you may have doubts. And you know, God is big enough for you to have doubts, and he loves you enough to let you have doubts. But you need not have doubts, because he has spoken to you clearly in his word. He has revealed everything that you need to know so that you can be at peace in the word that he has given you. He has spoken to you so that you'll confidently believe he is your prophet. You need not fear. Not only is he your prophet, but he is your priest. He is the one who has come and made purification for you. Calvin says, it's printed on our bulletin this morning, we see that our whole salvation and all its parts are comprehended in Christ. 
we should therefore take care not to derive the least portion of it from anywhere else. He's saying, all you need to be right before God is yours in Christ. So don't be wrapped up in the opinion of others. Don't be concerned about your reputation. Don't be concerned about your appearance. Don't be concerned about materialism. Don't be concerned about all these things. You already have the approval of the king. He has cleansed your sin. He has made purification for you. See what you have. He's your prophet, he's your priest, and he's your king. He's the king who sits at the right hand of God. It's natural for us to worry. We all worry about a lot of things. Work, health, kids, finances, the list goes on and on. But in Jesus, you have the one who holds the stars and holds the dust. So he's got you. Whatever it is this morning that you're finding hard to give to him, be at peace, you can give it. You can exhale into his divine lap and trust that he has you. He is your prophet. He is your priest. He is your king. Jesus is more, is so much more than we realize. Back to my kitchen. Okay. They were in a FedEx envelope. Do you know where that envelope is? Yes, I threw it in the trash. <laughs> then this kind of light bulb moment. They may not have collected the trash yet. Okay? So this guy does his best Usain Bolt impression, and he runs out, because it's the morning our trash is collected, so I've already wheeled it to the front of the house, and I, I've never been so happy to see a trash. I kind of embraced it, right? <laughs> Dragged it to the side of my house, took up the lid, and got after it. Okay? <laughs> And lo and behold, there was a FedEx envelope. I pulled it out and said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> right? um, sometimes things are more valuable than you realize. Sometimes you throw your tickets in the trash. Jesus has given us a day, the writer of Hebrews calls the day today, when we can get these tickets out of the trash. Where Jesus, who is more, supremely and sufficiently more than all we worry about, all we're fearful of, all that we spend our lives concerned about, is here and is ours for the taking. So let's us as a church, let's corporately do our Usain Bolt impression and let's run to him and fix our eyes on him. Amen. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time in your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to make anything up because you have spoken to us. And everything we've reflected upon this morning is, is, is nothing but your clear, uh, direct communication to us. You've told us Jesus is the heir. You've told us he created the world. You've told us he's the radiance of your glory. You have told us that he is the exact imprint of your nature. You have told us that he upholds the universe by the mere word of his power. You have told us he made purification for sins. You have told us that he sits at the right hand of the majesty on how you have told us that Jesus is more, more valuable than we realize. And so we pray that you would help us to see him as our prophet, as our priest, as our king, that we would find uh, in him our all in all, that we would learn more and more, Lord, to give our doubts, to give our concerns, to give our fears, to give our worries to you, because we already have everything in Christ. Might we see what we already have in him. Lord, we pray these things in his name 
which is no small thing. Amen.